very lucky today to be joined on Football CFB by the current Gillingham manager, Steve Evans, who's known to us all three spells with Rotherham, Leeds, Crawley, amongst a few others. Steve, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I need to start, first of all, by just asking you the simple question. How are you doing at the moment in coping with the lockdown? Well, I think for, for everyone in, in the country, as, as our Prime Minister said before he went into hospital himself, it's, it's very difficult for everyone. It's very unusual circumstances. Um, and we can only be eternally grateful to the NHS staff and the carers and, and not, not forgetting the, the police, the ambulance service, all the, all the services that look after us on a, on a daily basis. That I think it would all be fairness to say that we've taken them for granted for too many years. And here they are um, helping save our lives. So we're eternally grateful. It's difficult. But uh, as often as is said, it's... Uh, We've been asked to sit in the house and watch television and do interviews and prepare for football starting again, whatever that may be, compared to in yesteryears when our great-grandfathers and grandfathers and cousins and everyone else went to, went to war and, and a lot of them didn't come back. So in many respects, we're lucky that we've been allowed to be at home. And so from that point of view, I can't moan. I, I just hope this dreaded virus takes less lives every day and someone can come up with the answer to it. Something that you've been doing, obviously we've talked about the fact that football's secondary at the moment, but something you and the club's been doing that I've found really, really quite nice is you've been phoning some of the older fans and season ticket holders to check up on them. Is, is that something you've enjoyed doing? Yes, I have enjoyed doing it. I, I took it to the table to our chairman instantly. He said yes. He's a people's person himself, so it made it easier, but We've, we've done that. I've, I've put up some money to buy some prizes for a little quiz where we're getting supporters' interaction as well. I think it's, it's a lot of downtime for people and there's, there's a lot of uh, senior citizens or, or senior elders, whatever phrase we want to use, that perhaps don't speak to somebody from one day to the next, from one week to the next, especially in these times. They don't get the opportunity to, to take their time going along to the shops. It's probably getting delivered to them and left outside, for example. So... Um, it's been nice to speak to them it's been refreshing and believe me they're not short in telling me what the team should be and who should be playing so it's, uh, it's been quite good As a manager how do you handle this with the players have you set them an individual programme or is the message just keep yourself ticking over and we'll see you again soon Well I think it's almost to me it's resembled like a close season hasn't it we, we finished up and it was quite interesting. I read a, a friend of mine, Carl Robbins, at Oxford's words, where the first couple of weeks it was keep the fitness levels up and the fitness team were putting out daily plans where the boys were, were working really, really hard, really intense, lots of running, as you'd imagine. And with these, that down a little bit now because there's still no end in sight to this. We can only have them at absolute peak and maximum to start when we play football again. And, um, and that's why, as I know, I guess the new programme um, recently Mark Warburton and another friend of mine Mark was saying we just need some clarity on an idea of time um, and as I said at the time listening to that and post that that I don't think anyone can give us an idea I don't think the, the Prime Minister or, or Queen who spoke to us last night knows so um, but I think we're getting nearer to knowing and therefore we're getting nearer to changing the routines of the players so they're ready to, to play when we come back I want to just ask you while we're talking about the current situation you're obviously managing at Gillingham now. What's Gillingham like as a club for people, especially maybe in Scotland, that aren't aware of it? 
Well, it's a good club. It's, it's a club that's has been at championship level when last when Tony Pulis, he'll be well known to to most Scottish football supporters, was was the manager. And I, and I think then the chairman would put his hands up and said, probably a lot of years since then, he's he's not always the type of manager in place that could bring those days back to him. It's a good club. We recently would have seen his live on TV against West Ham. We lost 2-0. We are going in the 92nd minute to kill the tie. But it's probably a game we should have certainly gone taking them back to, to West Ham, if not win the game. So, um, But in terms of, in terms of a club, it, it, the standard of player, we'd play in the Scottish Premier League. We don't kid ourselves. We're not Celtic Rangers and we're nowhere near them. Um, but we'd be competing with we, we most of the rest on the pitch. Although in terms of your heads, your hearts and Aberdeen, they're, they're for sure bigger clubs. The rest, we'd be in the mix with them. In terms of your managerial career, we're going to talk a bit about your playing career and things like that. But I have to ask you, first of all, about promotion at Wembley with Rotherham. The celebrations after and the quote, this, could, this is like winning the lottery, but it's even better. You said your missus might not let you like you saying that. What was her reaction? Well, she's she's just sitting over here listening to a conversation. But uh, you're right. I, I did say to you weeks later when uh, Sky Sports News ran a, a double action slide of me running down the touchline at Wembley and Jose Mourinho running down the touchline at Wembley, and I said, you know, what one what one is for you, sweetheart? And she said, Jose Mourinho. Don't worry about that. So. <laughs> it's, um, but no, it was a, it was a, it was a wonderful day, um, delivering for a for a wonderful chairman who I, I only spoke to him yesterday. Tony Stewart, the man that owns Rotherham, he's a lifetime friend, uh, confirming his attendance at my daughter's wedding, and, and God willing, that will happen in July. So um, it was a wonderful support as I lived in the town for the three and a bit half years I was there, and so I almost left my family down near Peterborough and went up there and only got back on a on a weekend, Saturday night type of thing. But it's what you have to do. I've done it all the clubs have been at. And, um, but it was an absolute magical day. And if you're going to go to, to, if you're going to win promotion, I've won lots of promotions. And many a good manager who's gone via the playoffs prior to I was in them said to me, the only thing that will beat your promotions is winning promotion at Wembley because it's, it's winning promotion and it's, it's just all the feelings in the world, every cups and everything comes into it. And I was very fortunate to do it and I felt the out. In terms of Wembley as a stadium, what's it like managing there? Because it's just such, not only is it an iconic ground, but it's absolutely massive as well. Yeah, I think it's got an aura, hasn't it? You know, there's there's no other way of dispute. I still think, I'm a, I'm a little boy for Canberra's line from the circuit, so I, I still think that Hamden Park's got an aura, and yet I've got the road in, in regular basis, and, and and people are not on side with it as much. I think the scene, it should have been a lot better being the national stadium. I think when you go to Wembley, I think if they'd have got the roof that closed rather than the one that partly closed, I think that was due to money. Um, it would have been the perfect stadium. It's got an aura. It's, um, it's a magical place to go. It has all the history attached to it. And, um, and to go there and, and win as a manager is, is, is pretty special. To rewind back to the start, you mentioned the fact you're a boy from Canvas Lang. Who were your footballing heroes growing up? It's very well known that Celtic were your boyhood club. Who did you idolise growing up in the game? Well, it was very easy. I was I was a member as, as a player at Celtic Boys Club. So you were always you were always around Celtic Park and, and the players associated with it. And those years changed, but but certainly in my growing up days it would have been Sir Kenny Dalglish was was certainly for me the the hero. In, in probably a more distant memory, but but 
became heroes or, or they are heroes. Some of them no longer with us, but the likes of, you know, Jimmy Johnson and, and people like that were, were certainly heroes. The Lisbon Lionstein for sure. Um, but people like Dublish uh, and who can forget Big Billy, you know, he became a friend to me in, in, in later years until he, until he passed away. And I still know his, his boy Martin very, very well. In terms of your playing career, when was the first time you felt you had a chance of making it as a professional footballer? Well, I don't think you ever know if you've got a chance of making it. I think when I was sort of 14, 15, and uh, we were probably winning most games of the school and there were some good players in that, and winning most games when I, when I played at Celtic Boys Club and then latterly Ock and Gill Boys Club, we tended to win all the trophies. And I think under 15 level, when you win the, the Scottish Cup double, I win it at schoolboy level with my school with Trinity High and then I win it of, of course at uh, We All Can Go as well so we we were very lucky to to win two Scottish Cup finals at under 15 level and, and then that led to a, a host of clubs where I, I visited and, and took different options and, and the biggest mistake in, and it was only a short football career as people know for me it wasn't very good but the, the biggest mistake of course was was turning down Glasgow Celtic and I was remember I was reminded of that recently when I met John Clark when I was in um, when I was in France watching a game and John Clark come up John Clark come up in the boardroom and said I know who you are and I couldn't believe it it was uh, it was uh, 40 years ago or something like that he came into my front my mom and dad's front room and we um, with John Kelman who was the scout at the time and trying to convince me to sign for Celtic why did you turn Celtic down I think if I've been honest, I listened to my dad at the time who said England was the, the place that was, was growing. I was, a, you know, and saying that my dad was a mad Celtic supporter. So we went every week on a, on a supporters coach every Saturday from a little village called Westburn where we moved to. And um, so from that point of view, probably my dad saying England was, was the future. And, and the reason I picked Bolton over the likes of Arsenal or, or Manchester United, which had options to sign for, the reason I picked Bolton was Ian Greaves, he's sadly no longer with us, was the first team manager at the time. And he, he travelled to my home in Glasgow and to Canvas Lang in Westburn. And, and, um, and I thought somebody that's, to me, I, I didn't know where Bolton was. I didn't know where London was. I was a wee boy. So but somebody travelled all that way and probably convinced me beyond anyone that I would, I would be given a real chance and I would play for the first team. And at that time, Bolton Wanderers were doing very well in the English First Division. We People like, Worthington and Gowling and Peter Reid and Neil McNabb, of course, who played with my dad's team when he had a, a kid's team in the past. So that just seemed right. So I went there, but ultimately it proved to be I wasn't good enough. You mentioned the fact that your playing career was was short in comparison to your managerial career. You played at Bolton, as you say. You played up the road in Scotland with quite a few teams as well. How do you reflect on your playing career and what sort of player were you, for people that don't know? Well, I played as a I played as a number ten really as a striker as a number ten when in the days when everyone played four four two it wasn't where it's going to today. Um, I was very fortunate to to play for Clyde and be coached by Craig Brown. That I was there as a schoolboy and trained there most nights uh, before I went off to Bolton as a kid. And when I came out of Bolton, it made logical sense. The first person to come and see me at home was Craig, and I signed for there and, and got in the first team very early, as you can see, and played a number of games. And then a typical 17-year-old boy, I thought I should be playing every week. Craig left me out when I wasn't playing well. And I, I think his words better than mine. I was in his office every five minutes morning, but I wasn't playing. And 
and uh, asked to be let go. And on a bad day, he said to, on his words, on a bad day for him, he said, right, I'll let you go. So I went off and, and signed for Albion Rovers to play, really. Um, Joe Baker and Martin Ferguson were my, were my two managers there. And of course, Joe Baker is a, is a legend as a player, for, for sure. And Martin Ferguson was, was brilliant for me. And brilliant. I still keep in touch with Martin to this day. And um, scored a few goals and then got moved here United. Um, I can remember being at Fair Park one night watching a game and going around the side of a, a van and Willie McLean tapped me up about going to air and um, ended up at Air United and, and a loan spell at Hamilton and, and then went to St. Johnson when Ian Gibson was a manager. Another great guy, uh, good teammates, good players and, um, and then finished when, well, had an injury tried to come back from it from for about six, eight months, maybe a bit longer, fifteen months in total. And um and then it just had to give up sadly. Towards the end of your career at St Johnston, was coaching then always the aim? No, I hadn't thought about it to be honest. Um I used to do the odd bits locally with amateur teams uh in the circuit and we are we are good mate of mine, Tommy O'Neill, who I played with a Clyde. Uh, Tommy um, lived in New Stevenson up near Motherwell, so I used to go up there and we'd do a bit of coaching with his brother's teams and things like that, but it wasn't really a thought. So like everyone else, you, you go to what we would say is a normal job and hadn't really thought about it. And it's only through working and through jobs, really, did I get the opportunity to, to take a out-of-football career move to England, if you like. So I came to England and, uh, and ended up just going back into football through default, really, local club. Sacked to manager, looking for a manager, um, asked me to take coaching for a few nights and the bug was there and I was back in. In terms of coaching, you really came to my attention when you took the job on at Crawley because Crawley were a team that, to be honest with you, Steve, no disrespect to them at the time, I followed football across all levels, but I wasn't overly aware of Crawley Town at the time. You took over and you started to, to be very ambitious and set about getting them promotions, which you duly did. What was that like for you? Was that a, a real big step? Do you look back on that as a big step in your career? Oh, yeah. I had, I had some unbelievable, you know, deathbed moments that I'll never forget at Crawley for sure. You know, when, when I first went to the club, it, 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 it was owned by two Majid brothers who, you know, had more fights with supporters than anyone. But they told me their plan was to move the, move the club very quickly on to a supporter called Bruce Winfield, who was a um, Scotsman by birthed and from Dundee with some real heritage and Bruce said to me he had some people coming in to buy the club who were English people but, but based in Hong Kong and uh, would have the patience to come in the short term and, and live through five or six months of where it's going to be really tough and then in five or six months if these guys come in which he assured me they were um, he knew them he knew them personally knew their businesses he said they would if I come into there then I would get the rewards of being able to to build a team in the conference that that could literally go straight out of the conference, and thankfully Bruce got that investment in. And you know, of course, we we did go on to put a whole new squad together, but we gave them ample rewards back. We win the conference by record points, record least defeats, most goals, least conceded. You know, in that conference that year, with the likes of Luton Town, with the likes of Wimbledon, who were who were certainly higher financed than than what we were. Um, but we spent our money very wisely and our recruitment was to use an expansion more like a sniper effect, more like a bullet um, from a rifle rather than a shotgun effect. So we, we knew the type of players we wanted. We knew how to get them in. And, um, you know, we got great support. So we don't get it. We got good support. So 
we got them in and that's the season of course we the owners get every penny back and more because we had the wonderful cup run that dreams are made of you mentioned the cup run that dreams are made of when you draw manchester united as a manager, do you look forward to a game like that, going up against Sir Alex, or are you nervous because of the stature of Manchester United? I oh, know, I thought I'd beat him, and, uh, and he knew it. I think he, he, um, the, the biggest compliment Sir Alex gave us was, was twofold. Number one, we were playing away at Wrexham in a Conference League game on the Tuesday night before we went to Old Trafford, and Wrexham were going really well at the time. It was going to be a tough game for us. And uh, the media department at Crawley Town, which is only one guy really, Bruce, um, Bruce told me before the game that uh, Sir Alex Ferguson was attending and had just gone upstairs. So he came to his homework on a team that is a is a team that's at the top of the conference, but Manchester United were top of the Premier League and were absolutely flying. So him and Mike Phelan were sat in the director's box and went out and uh, we drew that game. So that was a big compliment. And then on the pre-match to that game, Sir Alex described this as a football league club in waiting with an outstanding manager and outstanding players. and. Um, and it was an enormous non-league club that were playing, so he was he was taking it to to the length and giving us the same preparation he give any opponent in English football. So that was a compliment, and um, we went there and we thought we could win. We didn't win, but we we gave them a a real test. You did give them a test, absolutely. And I'm interested to ask you. You might not want to share. What was your team talk like in a game like that? Well, I think before the game, it was my, my team talks have never changed in any years over cup ties, which is, can we be in the cup tie on 70 minutes? Especially when you're against bigger opposition. It's different if you get into lower opposition because you know what their team talk will be. It'll be very similar. And I said, can we be in the, the team talk? And we went, you know, we went a goal down after a bit off the top of my head, maybe 20 minutes. Wes Brown scores a header from a short corner that got cleared and second phase, they score from it. And we're probably lucky to go in one nil down, you know. Uh, they missed a couple of good chances just before half time to make it two. And uh, and I've seen two or three of my players forgetting about everything else and where we were and 75, 76,000 supporters in the stadium. We said, forget that. We've not played when we've had the ball. And we're a lot better than that. If you take away the fact that they're wearing the Manchester United shirts, what can we do in the second half? And let's not leave anything. Um, that when we leave here, let's not leave anything behind that we might have done. And if I'm being honest, you know, we dominated Manchester United in the second half. We missed two good chances. We hit the post, we hit the bar. Sir Alex was near Jimmy's technical area going 4 5 1, screaming and balling him and Mike feeling. And um, it was um, it was real, it was tears at the end, and tears because we lost the game that we certainly should have taken Manchester United back to. Um, back to Crawley but we didn't and, um, and afterwards Sir Alex Tretters um, in the, the most Glaswegian fashion you would expect with a few drinks in his office a few little tales and, um, and he wished us every success When you get the chance to sit with Alex Ferguson in his office after the game is that the sort of moment where you ask him for some advice where you just try and pick his brains as much as possible? Well, if you for the supporters up the road that won't be aware of this, we were the minute we drew Manchester United, we were actually sponsored by the Sun newspaper. So every every day up until the cup tie played in the front page, there would be a story about Crawley Town and Man United. And one of the stories they really focused on was I'd said to uh, the Sun that I'm going to take Sir Alex, the nicest bottle of red wine that any manager's taken him, and we can share. 
Um, there's a story behind that. that but the bottom line is I took him a nice a bottle of red wine. And after the game, it's all finished. Maybe 10 minutes after the game, little Albert, who was the kit man, of course, at Manchester United, knocked on the door and said, Gaffer's waiting on you. Steve, could you go in your own first? Your staff will welcome in 10, 15 minutes' time. So my staff heard that, no problem. And I went and I've got this box of wine. So Sir Alex opens it, looks at it, makes a little funny remark. And he said, I've got a letter for you. And I said, you've got a letter for me? He says, uh, do you know Ernie Hills, the golfer? So well, I don't know Ernie Hills, the golfer, but of course, <laughs> I've heard of Ernie Hills, the golfer. He's one of the best in the world. He says, well, I was, I was with Ernie the other night and we were laughing at the fact you brought me that wine. So he presents me a letter and asked me to read it. And it was Ernie Hills saying, the wine I was going to be drinking in Sir Alex's office shortly was come from his vineyard. There was a case of wine that would be sent to my home address next week. And um, and to wish us all the all the very best for the for the rest of the season and be watching the results with interest. And um, so it was just a remarkable experience. In come the staff, and as you normally know, managers will sit with other managers maybe for about half an hour and, and leave. I think it was over two hours before our team coach <laughs> left Old Trafford. And um, Sir Alex had family of ours in and friends and stopped as he left the stadium to to greet my family from Glasgow and. He, he treats us with the utmost respect and my respect from after that day will be with me to the day I leave as well, for sure. In terms of Crawley Town, to stay on them after that cup tie, you, you'll be remembered, in my opinion, as the manager that established them as a football league club in the sense that, as you said, they were in the conference side at the time you got them up, still football league as we speak. How do you reflect back in your time at Crawley? Because from the outside looking in, it seemed like a time that you were thriving and the club were thriving. It was a wonderful time. I worked for some fantastic people. There was the owners, obviously, based in Hong Kong. There was Bruce Winfield, who has passed away since with cancer, but was there that day, of course, at Old Trafford with us. And there was the Carter family, who are now living in the States, Susan and Ian. They were, they were just the most fantastic people, fantastic friends, friends of, of me and the families, and to this day, they're still good friends. So, so when you've got that behind the scenes and you're winning... Most games, you know, we lost, I think we lost from memory two or three games that season. So when you lose that amount of games which, and you're well away at the top of the league and you're getting promoted and you're up into the football league and you're doing so well, and you can only ever have the, the most magical times. From Crawley to Rotherham, was Rotherham just a club that was too big to turn down for you? I can remember um, quite clearly it was around the Easter period when the owner from Hong Kong was, was actually in the country. And they, he called me up on the Thursday and said, we've had an approach for you. And uh, he says, but I'll meet you for dinner tonight. So I said, fine. So I'm bef before going for dinner, I'm at a training ground and I'm speaking to my assistant and the chief scout and the staff. And believe me, I had everyone above Rotherham. Everyone. I'd, we had done such a good job at Rotherham. I thought, yeah, the chance will come for me to go. So when I met, when I met Paul and we, we sat down speaking, he says, oh, it's come from Rotherham. And my face dropped. I said, Rotherham? Is that it? Rotherham? And um, he said, yeah. I said, well, okay then. I said, well, I'll let you know in the morning. He says, okay. So um, so I went back and told my assistant manager and uh, my assistant manager's family live in Sheffield. So they knew what was going on in Rotherham. And he says, oh, he says, Gaffer, don't, don't snub that. He said, they're building a fantastic new stadium right in the middle of town. This is made for us. We can rejuvenate a club that's been in the doldrums. We have a good man, a partner, a local man he didn't know that's taken over. 
So I went back the next day and said to Paul, I wanted to meet Tony Stewart at Rotherham and I would go to a meeting and I, I got invited, invited to meet the board. So I went and met the board and I was speaking for about 45 minutes openly to the board and them to me and questions either way. And, and then Tony Stewart just said, I'd like to stop the meeting. I'd like everyone to leave except Steve and my son, Richard. And um, everyone left and I'm thinking, what have I done here? And Tony Stewart said, the reason I've asked you to leave is we're going to talk terms. I want you here. I, want a, I don't want a high priest. I want a gladiator. I want someone who comes and fights with a passion that you demonstrate, fight for the team. You'll, you'll get the supporters with us. Uh, we're moving to this new stadium. And um, during that meeting, he, he made me the offer. I said, I'll go away and, and chat to my wife and to my family, and uh, which I did. But it, on the way home, I was realising that I was, I was wanting to go. And, um, but the secret to it is he gave me a couple of days to make, to make his answer up. And after two days, I said to him, I would come and join him. But I wouldn't do it to the summer because Crawley had six or seven games left of the season. The only it was apparently kicked without a goalkeeper rule. They needed six or seven points from six or seven games. We had a team that was absolutely flying. But um, Tony Stewart, I thought he would maybe walk away from it then, but he didn't. He said, "I, I love. I've never had a manager say to me, I want to see it through where I am first.'" And um, I said, "Well, I want to see it through, and I, but I promise you one thing: I'll take Crawley to League One, and I'll step back to League Two." And um, so we, shook, so we didn't shake hands, we were on the phone, but he said, no, I'll find respect her. So I went up and met the owner from Crawley and I said, this is my decision and I told him. And he called my bluff and he said, no, you're not. If you're, go- if you're going to leave, you're going to go today. And uh, so it put me in a bit of a position. I thought, oh God, I've got nothing signed, no contract, nothing other than a verbal agreement. Um, so I rang Tony Stewart and explained the position, who simply said, get in the car, come up today, we'll book your head cell, We'll get the contract run up. It'll be exactly as we discussed. Trust me and, and, and come up. So I resigned from Crawley on a, on a verbal with Tony Stewart. Everything the man said to me was true. When I got up there, it was all in writing, waiting for us. And, and that was it. I'd, I'd gone to, to Rotherham. But it, it was interesting. I phoned two people on the way up, even after I resigned, but just to pick their brain. And, uh, and one was Sir Alex. And uh, I asked him what his thoughts would be that, I'd gone to, um, I decided, you know, to go to Rotherham. And he said, well, listen, son, he said, you've, you've only been in, at Boston and you've only been at, at Crawley. And we all due respect, at the minute, they're not like clubs. At the minute, even though Crawley's come up, they're not like clubs. He said, Rotherham is a history. It's a proper league football club where just think of some of the managers. And when he started saying the names, you know, Ian Porterfield, Emlyn Hughes, and when he said Tommy Doherty, even I had the hairs up in my back of my neck. And I thought, this is the right move. So we went up to, to Rotherham. We took over. We, I think, seven or eight games to go. Um, we were playing at the, the Bond Valley Stadium, which is an athletic stadium in the middle of Sheffield, when the stadium was getting finished in Rotherham. And, um, but it gives a good a chance to, to assess the squad, who we wanted to keep, who we didn't. And um, so we, we were the first management. I was the first manager to to go into the New York Stadium with, with Tony Stewart, which is, for the supporters up the road, the, the New York Stadium at Rotherham is like a, it's like a mini Emirates. There's nothing like that up the road. It's a complete bowl. It's right in the middle of town. It's 14,000 seated. It's right standing up. They're right on top of you. It's, it's a stunning facility. And um, so it was, it was very easy, not easy, but it was easier 
to go in there and attract the type of players that would have seen his goal. Uh, what I told the chairman we would do if he supported me financially with players, I'd take him to the championship in two consecutive years, which he uh, which he laughed at and choked on his cigar. <laughs> see, before we talk about the promotions and the stories from that season of promotion, see when you lead a team into a new stadium, we've obviously seen it in recent years at West Ham, Tottenham, a few others. What's it like going into a new stadium? Because you mentioned the fact that normally a team's got a home and going into a, a new ground, it needs to be established as the new home. What was that like from your point of view? Well, it was fantastic. It was it was easy in the fact that the, the grounds were probably separated by a dual carriageway, no more than if it was a straight walk, 300 yards from door to door. It was it was quite amazing. But the, the owners of the old club that went into administration before the current chairman bought it <coughs> wouldn't agree anything with him in terms of because he wanted to buy that stadium and redevelop that, but they wouldn't do it, and, or they were trying to outprice him, or maybe he didn't want to pay it. I'm not, I'm not privy to the actual detail, but we went into the new stadium. One is it was a stunning facility. You take all the history with you because the whole of the town needed a lift at that time. There was things going off in the town that were not so good, and uh, the town needed something to galvanise the people, and they're wonderful people. They're the same as Glasgow people. Same as Gillingham people, they say it as it is, you know, there's no there's no airs or graces. If they think you've been poor, they'll tell you in their own way. But we went into the stadium, it was stunning, it was great to show players around, it was uh, it was just brilliant to be part of. In terms of Rotherham that season, you get promoted. Who were the sort of big characters in the dressing room? And I'm interested to ask you this. Really interested because of the success you've had. How do you approach recruitment, Steve? Because you've done a very good job at it over the years, as your record suggests and shows. Yeah, I think what you have to do is you have to look what the model is for. If if the, there's a number of factors that you have to think of first, have we got the resources to build a promotion squad? And there'll always be one-offs that outperform and get up. But normally, league tables normally are dictated by budgets if you've got the right manager. So if you look probably in Scotland now, I'd say Celtic have got the top budget. Rangers will be the second budget. Aberdeen will be the third budget. You know, and then you could probably look Hebs, Hearts, and probably Motherwell are the ones that would be outperforming the marketplace in terms of budgets to where they're performing. And that's no difference in, <clears throat> in any walks of life in recent times when you look at Manchester City's sudden success. It came with the wealth of of the, the, the people that now own them. Liverpool's success came with what they've done. And, and Man United was always going to be difficult. They've always backed it financially, but there was always going to be such a transition after somebody like trying to follow Sir Alex. It's going to be five or six, seven managers before that changes. So how did our, our look upon it? We certainly had the chairman, so that was strong. We had the wealth of the chairman to, to back it. We were never going to be the top budget in the league because we had the likes of um, the Bradford Cities and some some big clubs in there that you know the Luton Towns that could that could blow you away in terms of financially. So what we had to do is we had, what was our assets? <coughs> our asset was the stadium. Come and play in this. It was like showing any player going to play in League Two what the Championship is. And the best example I can give you that I can remember speaking to Craig Brown at Aberdeen and telling him I wanted to sign Callie Arneson, and he said Arnie won't come to League Two. Arnie's Arnie's full international playing with Iceland, captained them. He likes to feel he plays somewhere special every week. I says, well, we owe due respect to Pitodri. You've not seen a new stadium, uh, boss. And he laughed. Anyway, we convinced Carrie to come. 
Carrie walked into the stadium and, well, driving up to it, he went, wow, what with this? It doesn't matter what you tell people, what it's going to be like. We went through the doors, out, out into the arena. He was sold. His agent hadn't even arrived to talk terms. He was sold on it. So what we did is we put a squad of players together that have complete mixture and a complete blend of lads that we had inherited and kept because of the good players. And secondly, we wanted to add four or five or six really, really top players that could, and not by paying them the mess necessarily, we signed a kid that was released from Yovo who went on and got 30-odd goals. So it was just about finding the, the gems, putting that squad together and um, and seeing if you can get the promotion that you've told your chairman you will do. You mentioned the fact that you are managing <coughs> in, in League 2. What's it like in terms of getting the promotion to League 1 and then the Championship? What's the step up like year on year? I think even then and even now, the, the two-to-one step is not as great. It's not as great. It's, there, is a, there is a step for the top seven or eight, nine in League One to the rest of League One over a season. But if you were saying to me, that could the top half in League Two compete with three quarters of League One? Yeah, absolutely, on a weekly basis, that could change. I think, I think the step from <clears throat> League One uh, to the Championship is even bigger now than what from the Championship to the Premier League is. Now, you'll get the mass media who'll say, what does Evans know about the Premier League? Well, I know the clubs that have gone from the Championship that I've been against and I look at the players and I look at where they go and where they're successful, where they are in the Premier League. But the rewards to get in now to the, to the Premier League are massive, but the rewards to go from League One to the Championship are massive because if you've got a wealthy chairman, if you have got a real wealthy chairman, that's the time where he's maybe going to have a little bit of a punt, isn't he? Because he wants to go to the Premier League. That's, that's the dream land with £220 million funding if you finish in the bottom three in the Premier League. <laughs> that's true. In terms yeah. of um, Rotherham, as we talked about the fact that you won promotion, two promotions getting to the Championship. You said that the chairman nearly choked on his cigar when, when you said that. What was your reaction when you finally achieved it? And what was his reaction as well? Yeah, I think we were. I think we were just so proud of each other. You know, he he always used to say to me, "There's there's no point in me backing you verbally, not backing you with my wallet, as in the budget at key times." And he, and the chairman did that. But he also said he needed someone to to fight the corner for Rotherham United, uh, people to fight and contest every decision because he felt he felt that for the three or four managers he had prior to me, they were all very quiet, opposite to me, didn't contest the decision, took what it was, and and nothing was happening for him and the people he's seen being successful were the, were, were the people who knew what they were doing, who were workaholics. And uh, so the biggest compliment Tony Shirt said to me is that I've, I've got a manager who's a workaholic and he's a workaholic himself. So that blend worked really well. But I was just so proud that when we first got together, we said, <coughs> he asked me where I would be in, where he would be in three years' time if I see my contract through. And I said to him, he would have just stayed up after his first season in the Championship. And he did. In terms of that season in the Championship, it was an incredible season. I remember you signed a new deal live on Sky as well. Um, when you go into the Championship with Rotherham, and obviously you're up against teams that have just come down to the Premier League with vastly greater budgets. What was that season like? And sum up the Sombrero Steve occasion, because that's something I look back on with, with sheer fondness. That's what football's all about. Yeah, I think I think to the punter and ninety percent of football people are punters, aren't they? I think to the punters they just they stop laughing when they've seen it. 
but it was a mad moment. The, the, the season, the first season of the Championship, <coughs> like every club would tell you, was extremely tough. Uh, we had a few lessons along the way, a few beatings, and um, some of the big boys did come into town, or we went to them, and they performed at the top of the game. But what we always knew, if the big boys performed at the top of the game, they'd beat us. We had to have them on a slight off day. And they have to find us where we are really... We had to be at the top of our game every time we got a point or three. But we got settled in very quickly. Um, Stop my soft drink here. We got settled in very quickly. It's Iron Brew, by the way. Diet Iron Brew. <laughs> See that? Um, we, got, we got settled in very quickly. And, um, you know, over the piece, it became really down to the last six or eight games of the season. But the sombrero came from... We were live on Sky against Reading. We had to beat Reading. If we didn't beat Reading, here was the scenario. Both us and Millwall had one game left. Millwall had a home game. They were absolutely flying at the time. They'd win the previous Saturday. And we were away at Ellen Road, away at Leeds United. So we picked up the newspaper. Some of the lads brought the newspaper in before the game on the Tuesday against Reading. And there was an article in there where a Millwall player who said, I think Rotherham will bottle it tonight against Reading. That just stuck in my head for no other reason. That word, we're bottling Of course, we beat Reading 2-1, um, I think it was. And after the game, live on Sky, they said to me, what was I going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to go and... I'm not going to bottle it. I'm now going to drink all those bottles, 12 bottles of champagne that are in my office. And uh, it, it, in fact, I'm going to have a party on Saturday and I'm going to turn up at Ellen Road with my beach gear on because we're on the beach now, flip-flops. We have, we have stayed up. And I went home, and my wife and others are saying, what are you on about? You're going to Ellen Road in your beach gear and your uh, attire. I went, oh, forget it. don't really matter. Anyway, within two days, people started pledging for charity, for, for children's charity in Rotherham, if I did this. And it quickly became, I was getting more in a position I had to do it, embarrassed to do it, didn't want to do it. <coughs> and then, um, so we'd agreed we're going to do it, publicised we're going to do it. That was banter, the players were laughing, etc. Chairman was buzzing with it. And then we got a call from Leeds United on the Friday to our, uh, to our club secretary saying that I didn't know this, but on the last home game that Leeds United play of every season, they have a, a minute's commemorative service for those supporters that are no longer with the football club that were there at this time last year. Well, I was like devastated and I thought, I'm not turning up like this. And um, so I, did, I was going to change it. We then got a second call to, to, from Leeds, which was brilliant to say, we're not going to stop Steve celebrating the job he's done and his players have done. He can turn up with this, but can he just be properly attired for when we do it just before kickoff? So it was easy. So we've arrived at Ellen Road. <coughs> Probably the only manager that's ever travelled a team coach for Ellen Road with the most ugly shorts and T-shirt with the old belly hanging out, shorts, etc. And um, arrived at Ellen Road to, believe it or not, the world's media. You know, Sky, BBC, ITV, CNN for America. We're, we're covering it live as arriving. It was embarrassing. and um, But with a bit of banter wet, I went straight into the dressing room. And as you can imagine, changed very quickly. And, um, <laughs> and then we went back to a series head on. But you know what is, is it proved to me is I joined Leeds United after that, of course, in my career. But it proved to me what great people they were. I went out five to three got 30,000 applause, um, social media, my daughters are on it, I don't do it, but my daughters were telling me it's, it was incredible response, reaction, 
and of course we we showed in paid our respects to to those Leeds United supporters and Rotherham United supporters, of course, that were that were no longer with us. The celebrations, especially at the end of the game, a real party atmosphere. What was that like for yourself? Because staying up with Rotherham was just such an achievement, and and the party really did go on after that. Oh, the the boys um, when we stayed up against Reading on, <clears throat> on the Tuesday night, I said to the players, which is unlike me, I'm normally a stickler for discipline. I said to them, "Go and have a couple of days off, going out tonight, go and enjoy yourself." And um, I wish I hadn't been as blasé with that as I was, but I was to them privately. But they went out, you know. But we we well, I think we drew zero zero Ellen Road on the Saturday. Ellen Road in in terms of the the team sheet should never be a draw. They should always beat us. They're lots of class players. Um, brilliant support, but we were able to, to applaud our supporters who had followed us around the country. And I think you take that sort of view then, once a miller, always a miller. You know, and that's what the saying is if you're a Rotherham United person, and that will always be inside me for sure. So we got the opportunity to applaud and to applaud the Leeds public and, and left. But, you know, it's, it's not until you two or three days later, you're going to have a break with your family. Do you, do you realise the enormity of what you've just achieved coming out from being 17th and 18th in League Two, really not very good at all. To winning League Two promotion on the last day at a full New York, um, incredible. Uh, win our last six games to achieve that in a row. Uh, some big games in there as well, winning away at Bradford and winning away at Plymouth, and massive results in terms of League Two standings. And then up into League One and getting into the playoffs and winning on penalties, but being the only club in the history of the playoffs ever to come from two goals behind to, to win is um, and it's still in the record books now so um, you know just, just a fantastic time at Rotherham Rotherham was a fantastic time and it <coughs> comes in for you from Leeds United an absolute juggernaut of a club a real sleeping giant it's a shame they're not back in the Premier League considering what they, they achieved um, back in the, the sort of late 80s early 90s and even the late 90s when Leeds United were interested in you how did you feel well, Leeds United were interested maybe six months, five months, five, four or five months before um, when I had a, a, a call from a, an agent who was close to the owner, close to Massimo Cellino, and asked me, would I be interested in, in having a chat? That's how these things work. Um, but I was already uh, in the start of the summer campaign of getting my squad ready for the second season in the championship for Rotherham. And I had I had no thoughts of no thoughts whatsoever of leaving Rotherham, um, as as tempting as Leeds was, you know, it's a huge club. Um, but as quickly as that phone call came, I didn't really have a day or two to think about it. Then suddenly Leeds were appointing a manager, so it, it became fairly obvious I was probably one of two or three, and not the main one that they wanted. However, that changed three four months later. The team wasn't doing so well at Ellen Road, and I got I got the call from. Massimo, um, you know, to, to go and have a chat with them. And wow, it's it's such a fantastic football club. I'll, you know, I had calls when I was appointed and it was very quickly in terms of met Massimo on the Sunday and bang, I was on the training ground and getting announced on the Monday. Um, hadn't even signed my contract, didn't sign him for about another two weeks. I'm a trustworthy guy, I think. I've done it at Rotherham and I've done it at Leeds. But um, but when I, when I joined Leeds, it was you don't realise the size and the power and the history and the values and what that club's all about, the fan base. You, you just don't realise 
just how big it is, and unless you are a Leeds United born and bred supporter, or you are you have been fortunate enough to to work within it, it's just an absolute giant of a football club. You know, my phone, you know, the likes of Sir Alec rang me, Arsene Wenger rang me, Jose Mourinho rang me. Um, it it really was a, an unbelievable who's who of football. Um, rang me just to just to say, wow, what a what a club you're taking over. And I, I knew these people, but I didn't know them, so to speak. So for them to call me, it told me the, the enormity of Leeds United, not of me, of the enormity of the football club that I joined. You mentioned Massimo Cellino. I have to ask you about him. What was he like in those negotiations with you? Because he's a very big character. Yes, and you don't probably realise how big a character he is to you and the presence the man's got to you. I met him actually at Ellen Road and went in a sort of uh, East Stand main entrance, but there's no one around. It was a Sunday late morning. And we, we spent three hours. And, uh, and I've since confirmed this with the likes of, um, you know, uh, Gary Monk and, and, and others that's worked for Massimo Cellino Allegri. I've spoken to him about Massimo. He knows very well. Uh, the one thing about Massimo Cellino, he, he has this Italian... Um, what's the words madness about him where he's he's very theatrical and he screams and he shouts and his hands go but his knowledge of football and his knowledge of players is outstanding and um, you, you would talk about a left back at Reading he would know who you're talking about he'd name him he'd say what his previous club was and that's I'm just giving you a live example some he wouldn't but I went, when I was when we move on to when, when I joined Mansfield I, Gary Monk come and played us as the Middlesbrough manager and first time I'd really sat down with Gary, although we'd spoken a few times on the phone. And Gary asked me the same question, what you've just said, how did you find Massimo? So I said, you're probably going to disagree with him, or disagree with me, but, and I said what I thought. And he said exactly what you're thinking, Steve, I thought. He knows his players, he knows his systems, he knows his way. You just have to be strong with him. So how was the negotiations? He told me what he'd pay me for at Leeds United, and I said yes. That's how the negotiations went, because because I wanted the job. And listen, he paid me. He paid me more than I'll ever earn again, and he paid me very, very well. And he said, "I will pay you the going rate of what Salih United manager." So I left Rotherham and got a huge, huge pay increase to to join Leeds United. But I didn't. I didn't ask for a figure. I didn't name it. I didn't say anything. Massimo just told me what he'd pay me, and that's why when he said to me, "I'm giving you my bond. I shake your hand now." You will be announced publicly tomorrow morning, um, but it will take us about a week to, to get your contract or not because my lawyer is in Italy. And I said, I trusted him. So, and, um, and I trust him now. He, did he let me down at the end? I'm not so sure he let me down. He changed his mind, whatever it is. Um, but, he, um, but I got on really well with him. So I'm not here to knock him. He gave me, he gave me single-handedly the opportunity to manage one of the, for me, one of the top, some of the top 10 clubs in the world, if not the top six. In terms of Leeds United, it's a, we mentioned they both agree that it's a massive club. Playing in front of the, the crowd at Ellen Road must have been wonderful. What was it like working under Chilino as the situation developed over the course of the season? Because you and Gary Monk, you've just said there, mentioned that you had to be strong with them. What was it like managing under them? Yeah, it was tough some days because when I was in there, it was probably tougher the most because that's when Massimo, Massimo was having his real problem with the media. He was, of course, banning uh, Sky Television. He was banning certain media outlets from, from coming in, stopping us talking to them, didn't want it. 
uh, because he was fighting over the television rights and he wanted to fight probably his own battle more than a football league battle, if you like. And he did it on the basis that you have to be at Leeds United to realise how many times you're on the television. I think I think outside the top three in the Premier League, our games were live more on, on national satellite television than anyone else's. And, and Massimo felt the way it's done overseas is you'll get paid a flat amount, but the difference then you get paid so much by live appearance. Whereas the live appearance rates here, according to Massimo, say, for example, it was £100,000. If that took 10,000 people off the gate, you'd lose the 10,000 people, which was more than the 100,000. And there was all the, the programmes and the eateries and all the other bits that would lose out. So he was based on a true, real commercial argument. But maybe how we put it across is not what we're used to in this country. So he probably didn't get the support that, you know, that a Tony Stewart would get, for example, if he was putting it across, because it would be put across in a, in a real different way. But you had to be strong with him. He never, ever suggested signing a player. He never, ever suggested that you pick a certain player. He used to say, I would not pay a coach if I was want to pick the team or, or pick a player. But he has an opinion afterwards. If you play a game and you lose or you win and you go up to his office, which I did after every home game, or speak to him on the telephone in the evening after every away game, he would have an opinion if he's watched the game. He would ask your opinion first. He would then, uh, if, you, if you invited him to, give you his opinion. And whether you liked it or not, that was his opinion. But that's no different to every chairman I've worked for. Every chairman has an opinion. And they're entitled to have an opinion. They're either chairman of a board that own the club, or, the, or in my case, the people that I've worked for have always been the owners. In terms of your time at Leeds, something that you deserve a lot of credit for is giving debuts to young players, Rolando Vieira, um, Peacock Farrell, the goalkeeper as well. In terms of giving young players a chance, is that something that you pride yourself on as a manager? Oh, very much so. If you look at that Leeds United team we went in, and in fairness to, to others, they had, especially Neil Redfern, really, who's a real good guy, a real good coach. Neil had put at under-23 level, but they're all 18-19. Calvin Phillips has just been phenomenal. He was an absolute kid when I was there, but he's been phenomenal. Lewis Cook, who he sold to, to Bournemouth in the Premier League. Sam Byron gets sold to West Ham. Charlie Taylor's now playing at Burnley. Chris Wood's playing at Burnley. So there's Alex Merritt, who's just been outstanding at Barnsley. So there's six or seven of those young players. So we loved working with them. We brought Bailey into that record and gave him his debut. And uh, all about an 84th minute penalty for Cupiari. We either win 1 0, needed a clean sheet. Young Louis Coyle, who's up Fleetwood, but attracted a lot of interest now from the Championship. And I'm, and I'm not surprised. And, and of course, who can ever forget the name when. You see a young lad playing in the under-23s and he's about 17 and there's a young lad in the middle of the park. And I, and I said to Paul Hart, the 23s coach, I really like that boy. Who's, who's that? He says, that's Ronaldo Vieira. I walked away laughing. I walked away laughing. I didn't think anyone could have the name Ronaldo Vieira. Ronaldo, somebody's like, yes. This is that Vieira, yes, but not Ronaldo Vieira. And um, so we, we got him training with the first team two days later. It was about two weeks from the end of the season and we, we brought him on very late in the last day at Preston and, and the club sold him in that summer, I think, or the summer after for about £9 million to, to Italy. But he is an exceptional, exceptional footballer. Exceptional family too. Mum and dad, his brother, who's at Leeds, exceptional people. I'm interested to ask you this about Leeds in general. I imagine 
from the outside looking in, the wage budget at Leeds was bigger than the Rotherham wage budget and players you inherited. Was there ever a challenge for you going into Leeds with certain players maybe earning big money in terms of how you managed them because maybe they wanted out or what have you? No, we were we were very fortunate. I, I, I don't think there's many players ever want to leave Leeds United. It's different if you're Leeds United where we were, I suppose, when I inherited them, they were 19th, 20th in the Championship. And probably by the January, we had a real opportunity to get into those playoffs. But that's when it was difficult because the owner wouldn't spend the money because of the negativity from the supporters and the media and everything. Mm. He didn't feel he wanted to, he wanted to spend it. And we were selling people at like Young Sam Byron and Lewis Cook and people like that. But um, there was never a... I never get involved in who earned what, who didn't earn what. I was yeah. aware of it. You are as, as the manager. But I didn't at Rotherham. You know, that was Tony Shirt and Paul Douglas. And... I think more and more football now, it's the, the chairman and, and the people behind the scenes concentrate on those things. But the, I didn't, the, only, the only conversations I had at one time was young Sam Byron, where a transfer fee was agreed for the, for the boy to go to Everton. And the, the boy was wary of going to Everton because they had a young man called Seamus Coleman playing every week. And, he, and this was before Seamus' injury, of course. And young Sam thought, I'm being signed by Roberto to back it up. And, Roberto called me a couple of times and we talked it through and I think Roberto he, he not thought, he understood why some would say, I want to be going somewhere where I'm going in as the right back and not going in as a backup to an absolutely phenomenal player. And um, so we got the opportunity to, to divert them in and he signed for, for West Ham for exactly the same deal but it was, it was Sam just saying I want to go somewhere where I'm going to play. Your time at Leeds was a time that Again, when you consider Leeds have been in League One before, your time at Leeds was, was good. There was constant speculation, as you know, over your future with Massimo Cellino towards the end. Will he stick? Will he twist? Was that hard to deal with mentally for you? Uh, not at the time, because privately Massimo had told me for, for two weeks before the end of the season that um, he wanted to tell me privately. He didn't want me to talk about it publicly, but he was... He was going to extend my contract by the option period. He had an option to take me forward for the year. And he was taking that option up. And um, and he even called me the day before the last fixture away at Preston. And um, and he said, we're going to take that option up, coach. We'll do it next week. So we went off to Preston. We took the normal Leeds travelling support of about nine, ten thousand 10,000 supporters. Absolutely incredible. Drew the game, played really, really well. People at Young Ronaldo come on. They, we played really well, could have won very comfortably. Um, and then after the game on the on the Saturday evening, I spoke to Massimo, he was very positive, we'll speak in the week, coach. Um, Tuesday, Wednesday, I didn't hear nothing. And then two or three times that I left message, he didn't come back to me. And as a, with a little bit of experience, you start to realise oh, there's, there's an issue here. And of course, the speculation was now running. We, Tom Dickinari was getting approached. Um, and then eventually I... I spoke to Massimo. I said, he said, no. He says, we've not spoken to any other manager except Gary Monk. He told me. He says, then let me explain it to you. Meet me in London. So I went down and I met him in his, um, near his home in London. And he said to me, he said, um, coach, he says, I'm selling the football club. And the people coming in want someone who's coached in the Premier League. And I've tried as best I can to say, we should keep you here. We should take you forward. But they want someone who's coached in the Premier League. And I am agreeing with they're going to come in and work with me. But in six, nine, ten months' time, whenever it is, the deal is all done, then they'll take over. So I have to let them 
have an input in this and they want a Premier League coach. That was about three weeks before it became public knowledge. I knew I, was, I wasn't going to be staying. Um, Massimo had done the honourable thing. He told me to my face. He told me in advance of anything being, being announced. Um, and I went off and all the knowing that the call would come in an official capacity from someone else at Leeds to say that the option period was not going to be renewed. So I actually got that about a week before then they came out in the media. But I respected the right that he told me the way he did. I just wish he hadn't told me the day before Preston that I was having the option taken up because I, w- I went from being the happiest football coach in the world to, to the most depressed one in a matter of three or four days. You, you mentioned going from a, a real high to a real low in terms of emotions, as you naturally would. Leaving Leeds United, how did you reflect on your time there? And ultimately, were you just absolutely gutted? Because as you've said, if you got renewed, as, you, as you've mentioned, it's a massive club. And you, I'd imagine it's, it's hard not to as a coach when you leave a club, when, when you've got, you want more time, you think, what could I have achieved there? Yeah, I think I think uh, I didn't have any doubt I could have taken them to the Premier League. Now, people, that's I've got to back myself and back my opinion. I think I think I would have done. Um, I think Gary Monk went very very close, didn't he? If he had a wheel come off with four weeks to go, and everyone knows in football, if a wheel comes off four weeks to go, you can't get that wheel back on. And there were there were a lot of the players that that we had there. Two or three of the players that came in and did really really well had been on my radar for the for the previous January, but Mr Chilino went back it, the likes of Ponte Shanton, who became absolutely iconic, and he's now at Brentford, but was, was, was a wonderful footballer. And two or three others that were on the list that they managed to get in in the summer, and I'm thinking, they've used my recruitment document to bring them in, but they had, obviously, Gary had one or two that came in as well that, that he picked. and um, But they played some wonderful football and it fell off. But uh, you, cannot, you cannot go inside Leeds United and not have it in your heart everywhere in your heart forever it's just it's just in there I was I, I was particularly down oh, for two or three months I was really really down and um, but you you have to learn to accept it's part and parcel of football it was just managing Leeds was just so so special Following Leeds a really interesting period there was rumours you were going to go to China there was rumours that Oldham had made you an offer what was that period like? Yeah, I think I did. I did meet the owners of Oldham. I met Simon two or three times, and listen, he, he made everything possible for me to go. He was I was going to be their record paid manager. I was he was putting everything in place for me. He was a real good guy. Um, he was chasing investment himself to support the job that he was doing. Uh, I always I spoke to Joe Royal, who's of course, and he's a legend at, at Oldham. I spoke to Big Joe, who was like, "Get yourself there, son." And, and um, but I, it was not. It wasn't a bit old. I just didn't feel I was ready to go back in. And uh, I still had, I had the thoughts of managing Leeds United again in my head because that's gone. But I was just, I was just not right to focus on someone else at that time. And and the opportunity to come and manage, uh, to go and manage in China came as well. But I, I think no doubt I'm a connection or the job I did at Rotherham. And, uh, and the success we had there. But when you're manager of United, you become, and you come out of there, you become sought after. So I had an opportunity to, to go to a Chinese club and the figures were staggering. But again, I'm thinking I'm not ready to manage, never mind going and live in China. So, um, so I walked away from both those opportunities and, and played golf and 
watch lots and lots of football, and then eventually, you know, two or three, four months later, your your head clears and you start going to games where rather than just watching the games, you go back to studying the games and looking at players and systems and shapes, etc. I'm kind of putting you on the spot with this question, Steve, but it's something I've been desperate to know, to be fair, for years. Have you ever been approached to manage in Scotland? I've been approached two or three times to manage in Scotland. Um, um, you know, uh, one championship club and two in the Premier League club as we stand today. So, obviously, I can't say who they are. It would be wrong of me to say. Um, one's quite close to you. Um, but yeah, one is one is a is a championship club that I've that I've always had a I've always had a brilliant relationship with the owner since my since my time as as a player really and, and then forgetting all that then the ownership and me became close when I was manager at Crawley. We went north and played and you you talk to owners like what you do, you talk to players and managers and I just loved it. I can remember going there and then I would find myself going back. Um, for weekends to see family and if we didn't have a game international weeks and stuff like that and I would I'd, I'd go and watch club in the championship as opposed to the SPL because I, I love watching them and so that was there and there was the opportunity twice to to manage clubs in the in the Scottish Premier League um, one I was one I was close to I was in I was in Edinburgh Airport talking real real detail um, and then um, their goalposts changed when the when the deal changed in terms of length of the contract in terms of Scotland, as I say, I find it intriguing that you've not managed in Scotland for a manager who's who's um, done so well down south. I'm interested. I'm glad you've answered that because it's something that I've always wanted to know personally, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, the next question I'm going to ask, I don't want to offend Mansfield fans, but having left Leeds, offers from Oldham, interest from China, why Mansfield and how tough a job was that? Um, well, it was... It was was that a tough job? It was tough when you were in because the, the, obviously the Radford family made the changes because they had to make the changes because the team wasn't performing. Um, but I first got the call from a friend of mine who's friendly with the Radford family and said they'd love to have a chat with you. Now I immediately said to myself, "I'm not, I'm not going to Mansfield," and yet Mansfield was one of those teams that any time I took a team to to Field Mill, which is before it became the One Call Stadium. Um, it was always tough and I got plenty of stick and all the stuff you do as a manager. But um, the one thing that I was always taught by my parents, you know, my dad's dead many years, but my parents always told me, uh, if someone wants to talk to you, out of common courtesy, you should talk. Common courtesy, nothing else. And I went and met um, John Radford and Carlin Radford uh, just for an informal coffee. And, and wow, they're persuasive people. <laughs> they're still personal friends to this day there. Speaking to to John Radford only two days ago, they're they're good people, and um, and they told me the vision they had for the football club. They told me they'd love me to come and get a grab of it and turn it upside down if you like, but and uh, and they'll support me as best they can. And you know, and it was I had to go back in. It just felt right. They told me if in a week it don't feel right, I could go. If it, if it don't feel right in two weeks, I can go. If it, you know, they they support me as an individual, and it's fair to say to this day. My wife is best friends with with Callan, and I'm best friends with with both John and Callan. So we're, um, but they're really good people. In terms of the time at Mansfield, it's a job that again you do well in, and you you get attention from another club. Before we go on to Peterborough, how do you reflect in your time at Mansfield as a club? 
Yeah, I think we went in and we, you know, we had a little bit of a change around within the same group as to systems and how we played. And we got some immediate results, as you can see. We, at one point, we threatened to get in those end of the season playoffs and just run out of time, really. Um, we got the opportunity to, to rebuild it in the summer. We didn't start so well to start the following season, but I had that at Rotherham in League Two as a new group put together. But when I left, and people forget this, in between having approaches from Swindon Town and approaches from Gillingham and approaches from two or three clubs that stayed pretty loyal, I stayed very loyal to the Radfords, but they were very good to me, very good to me and very good to my family and very loyal. And um, so we were in, much has been written of this, but the day I left Man- Mansfield Town, they were, I think I'm right in saying, 23 matches unbeaten, a game in hand to go second in the table if they win it. Um, listen, there was a pretty much of a mess up after I left because all you had to do was get in the car, put it back into fourth gear and drive down the road at 20 miles, 29 miles an hour, keep everything the same, turn left when you should turn left, turn right when you should turn right and they would now be in League One for sure, one million percent. But the one thing that, that I think you have to do is if you go in as a manager somewhere and it's working, change nothing. That's what experience tells you. If you go in somewhere and it's not working, change everything because it's not working. And um, But, you know, I just look from a distance and say, why is that team playing? Why is he dropped in? Why are they not playing that system? But it wasn't my job anymore. I'd, I'd gone somewhere else. Um, but I left them with a, a pretty, I'm not saying easy, because that would be disrespectful, but a pretty good chance of going uh, straight up. Peterborough come in, a club that's been in the Championship, flirted with Championship League One for many years. In terms of the attraction to go there, what attracted you to, to the Porsche? Well, there's two clubs come in. There's a, the Chinese club who tried to get me when I first came out of Leeds. had moved on their coach again. So they come back on to me about a week before I joined Peterborough. And I was having a chat, with, I was having a chat via my representative here in the UK and the representative... Uh, based in the Far East. and, and But that was a chatting stage. It wasn't a stage in, to be leaving. It was just, yeah. we were having a chat. And it was going to be actually more about the summer. It would have been saying to perhaps the Radfords, we're going to get up here, but then I'm going to go. Because it was record-breaking numbers if I'd have chosen to go. But at the same time, Peter United sacked the manager. I live five minutes. My family home is five minutes from Peter United's training ground and 10 minutes from the stadium. And um, and it's the city that my wife and children have been born. It's um, my wife's family are big Peter United supporters. Um, it's a club probably the three or four times, five times that I've wanted that job, they didn't want me. And then on the two or three times they wanted me, I didn't want them. I'd either be doing so well at Rotherham or I was at Leeds or wherever it is. And the first time the stars aligned is... Um, is when I had this opportunity to to uh, to go to Peterborough, and um, and I did, and it's really because if you take away my love for Glasgow Celtic, I'm a I'm a Peterborough fan. So I've been I've been in and around the city now for for the best part of thirty years. So you could say I went because I was a a supporter. I wouldn't have been leaving Mansfield Town. I can I can definitely tell you I'd have not been leaving to Mansfield Town to go to any other clubs in League One or two in England. Not, not, not an earthly chance. In terms of Peterborough, chairman there, Dara uh, McCanthony, very big personality, or so he seems from the outside. Is that what you I found mean, when you got there? Yeah, 
I've known I've known Darren many years. We speak, or we used to speak often anyway. We still do, still speak often. He's a he's a big character, you know. But when I said about Massimo having a good knowledge of the game, then Dara far surpasses that. Dara has um, an encyclopedia for statistics, an encyclopedia for especially statistics of young players coming through from non-league levels, League Two, whatever it is. Um, a supportive chairman and um, made it easy for me to say yes when I joined the football club. He's a hard taskmaster. You know, you you win seven games and you lose your eighth. He's more wanting to talk about the eighth. That's why these people are so successful. And, um, and my only regret is that I never gave him the promotion that him and his, his the new partners, we, Jason and Randy, so desire to, to have, which is where they should be, really, and where I hope to take them, which is to the Championship. In terms of there, you mentioned the fact that you didn't take them to the Championship despite your best efforts. How do you reflect on the time there? And ultimately, when, when you left the club, were you disappointed with the fact that you left and a new manager came in just a few hours later? I think it might have been 10 minutes he was in. Um, no, I think, listen, when you're, when you're sixth in the table, you're in the playoff zone, you always think it's, it's how can I be be sacked. The, the facts are in the last four to six weeks of, of my time there, we weren't playing the football we should have been playing. We, went, we weren't getting the results we should have been getting. Uh, we, had, we had too much of a mixed bag to see a consistency of trait. And, and when the chairman relieved me of my duties, he said to me, I, I'm just not seeing it where I need it to be going. And, um, and as much as you don't believe it because you're involved in it, yeah. and as much as, you don't, as much as you don't like it, I think when you go away, and I was, in a, I was in a real bad place for about a month or six weeks after me leaving there, real down, real bad place, not a, not a Leeds way, a different way, was our failure. Why did I fail? What was wrong? Why did it change? Because, you know, we, we put a new group together and we put an excellent group together. Some of the players, are they're going to sell for huge sums. You know, Ivan, Tony, Sariki, Dumbelli. You know, these, these are players that we put together. And um, so they, and they'll get the awards maybe this season by promotion, but uh, so I went away and I was in a real down place and I didn't really understand it for a while. But I think, again, maturity brings you back. You go back, you then re-look at the stats. You re-look at, you re-look at clips and performances. And then I could understand why Dara made the change. I don't like it. I have to respect it. and uh, But I understood it more a month or two later. But, you know, he is he is a very strong chairman. He's a he's a brilliant chairman to, to work for. He's supportive in every step of the way. And um, and I'm certainly a better manager for having worked for and with him. You mentioned the fact you were in a tough place when you left Peterborough. Was that the toughest moment of your career in the sense that when you left there, you had a lot of reflecting to do? And, and from leaving Peterborough, was it a case of you maybe, not try to word this properly, maybe thinking about your methods and about how you could maybe change them and adapt them going forward? Um, I, don't, I don't think it's anything to do with methods. I, I just think it's we... We probably didn't correct the team in certain positions that we should have done, uh, or we should have quicker, is, yep. is a better example, rather than Rotherham wait. But I, I think I put more pressure on myself than that job than I did even at Rotherham, at Leeds, at Crawley, Mansfield, anywhere, because it was effectively I've lived I've lived more of my life in Peterborough, or just outside, than what I've lived in Glasgow. So it, it, it tells you that it meant so much to me. Now, whether I at times did not see the wood from the trees or I didn't spot the detail quickly enough that I would have in other places because I was absorbed in it. Whereas 
where I've had success in my career, whether it be Rotherham or Leeds or Crawley, wherever it is, at Mansfield, I could, I could come away for a few hours. I could freshen myself up with the family. I could have clarity of thought. Whereas with the whole Peterborough thing, even when it family got together, it was we spoke about the game, we spoke about players, we spoke about systems. It, it just never went away. It really was. There's, there's not, there's not 28 hours in a day, but it felt like that, and it was all just too, too much. And but the biggest disappointment came from the fact that. I had wanted that job four or five times. I didn't want any other job four or five times. I'd wanted that job. Um, when they wanted me, I didn't want them. But for the first time, I thought it aligned. And it, we started so well. There is, a, there is a case for a manager. Don't start as well as we did. You know, five, six straight wins. Club record wins away from home early part of the season. They've seen Porsche been going since 1934. So that was a commendable start. So there was a lot of very big pluses. Um, but I have, I have to accept that it was the, yeah, it was it was me finishing there that that really put me in a down place because I I wanted the success that much. You wanted it that much. You leave. You reflect, as you've said. In terms of the opportunity to come back into football, you're obviously at Gillingham now. Was there interest elsewhere as well? Yeah, as you know, I could. We can't speak, but I could have gone to Scotland. I could have gone to the SPL. Um, I would have gone to the SBR. I, I met the club. I wanted to go. Um, that club insisted on my, my wife moving uh, to, Ed, to Edinburgh or Glasgow or somewhere in Scotland. Um, so the family was there rather than rather than just me. And um, but my wife's got her own career down here. So we'll meet up together at weekends. And, and I thought, well, I, I had to give it real due consideration as to what I did. And, and and I understand that football club's mentality and wording very very clear for them. They wanted the twenty four seven. They they didn't want a manager that that want to be finishing the game on a Saturday and jumping on a flight south or jumping on a train or going in a car for six hours to go home or whatever it is. They wanted a manager who lived and breathed it that would go local to their family. So I completely understood that. They gave us they gave us five or six days to determine a, a decision. We I decided to call them up and say we. I can't offer that part of the package. So, uh, but and and we parted as friends. I've been up and watched their team two or three times since, and we treat like a like as if I'm one of them. So that's been nice. But no, that was that was the, the big opportunity. A couple of clubs in in England and in, in League One came and and um, and Gillingham who tried to take me on a couple of occasions before. Um, so I knew their chairman, and, and he called me up, and when he actually called me. People wouldn't believe this, but when he actually called me to have a chat, we we were actually in Dubai on holiday, myself and my wife and my brother from Glasgow and his wife and my daughters. And and when he called me up and he said, "We well, sound as if you're away," I said, "Yeah, I'm in Dubai." He says, "Well, where are you staying in Dubai?" I told him, "Listen, he's he has a house about half a mile from where we were staying. It was as if he'd been tracking me." And um, <laughs> so we we agreed to meet for a for a drink before dinner, and uh, we had a little drink before dinner and. We'd agreed to meet a couple of days later, and, and over the course of ten days, we had I'd agreed to become the the Joe's boss. You you become the Joe's boss. You've been there now um, for a good while. You you seem to be really enjoying your time there. What's the ambition for the next the next uh, few years ahead? Well, when I first agreed to take the job, the the chairman said for the last three four years he had been uh, not sleeping at night between two weeks four weeks of the season to go because they were fighting relegation. And he understands with the bottom budget in League One that that may always be have to be the case. He didn't understand if we could, but he did understand it. He thought if we got the right manager in, 
then the manager would make up X amount of places in the league table. An example, if you look at Leeds United now, they'll be paying Marcello by far, by far the best paid manager in the championship will be Bielsa. He should be. I've watched. I've been up at Thorpe Park and I've watched him coach. He's absolutely outstanding technician, and he'll deserve that because he's the difference of that. That playing squad is very, very good, but he's the difference of being the number one and two as opposed to being maybe number four or five. He's the difference. So some some owners or directors believe you can be the difference. So Paul Scully said when when I agreed to join him, he wanted me to be the difference of three or four, five, six, seven places on the bottom budget, and if we could get some of the crowd back, some of the consistencies going again, some of the feeling, good feeling back about the football club. He could increase the budget where if it becomes a mid-table budget, he then believes that becomes a playoff team under us. And, it, and at the minute, we're doing very well. We're, we're eight points adrift of it. got nine games to go. Um, my own view is, can we make the playoffs? Absolutely, we can make the playoffs. We, if we pull back two or three points, leaving six games of the season left, we have four of them at home, two away. We play some of the top teams in there, but that's great because we have to beat them anyway to get in. And um, so from that point of view, if, if, if we even finish today where we are now, 10th, 11th in the table, if we finish now, it's a remarkable job that the whole football club has done, the whole football club. Essentially the players, you know, essentially the players, some young players, you know, the likes of Tucker and Ogilvy, they may, they may be on new pastures come the summer for lots of money. That's the chairman and the board's decision. Uh, some wonderful young loan players who'll go back to their parent clubs and and hopefully uh, progress their careers. Um, but more importantly, the people of Gillingham. Um, when I joined, there was some people saying we don't want them here um, because I was always passionate against them. And yeah, when you're passionate for them, they become with you. You become as one. I've got an apartment in the in the town. I live in it five six nights a week. I'm always in the supermarkets. I'm always in the streets. I'm always doing a number of things that I think is important, meals on wheels, uh, helping with the homeless and different things. I do all that my time, so I've got spare time because my family's up in Peterborough. So I get that time to do those uh, things. And I think the town has come together and, and we are we are as one. And, and that's it's not always the case in football, we are as one. Absolutely. I wish you all the best for your time at Gillingham. I'd like to finish with a round of quick-fire questions. First of all, well, your playing career. Best players you played with? Well, I've played with a lot of good players. Um, who would I say the best I've played with? Left back, Tommy McQueen. Uh, Wade Wright, Pat Nevin. Uh, myself and Alan McInally up front. Robert Connor, left side of midfield. Chick Charlie, central midfield. So we had, I've, I've played with some... Some wonderful players. Best you played against? Oh, best I played against. Um, oh, that's a good question. Best, best I played against. I would say a very young Dave McPherson when he made his debut for Rangers, and I was playing for Albion Rovers. Didn't get a kick. In terms of management, who would you say um, was what the best players you've coached so far? Well, you would never, I, I signed Gaza briefly at Boston, but Gaza was at the back end of, or probably in the middle of a lot of his troubles. So you would, and you wouldn't coach him because he was just unique. But in, in terms of coaching, you, in terms of the, the players, you, you certainly have to put the Leeds boys in, in that contingent for what they've gone on to achieve the Sam Byrons, the Lewis Cooks, Charlie Taylor's, big Chris Wood, who's scoring goals in the Premier League. 
he's a, he's a great kid. Um, you'd have to say if you go straight up to current times, the the two that we've got now, Conor Ogilvy, who left back, who just had five or six years at Tottenham, the, the kid will play Championship, so Premier League, uh, and Jack Tucker, who's is a young centre back we're working with every day, who'll will play at the level he decides he wants to play. He has every every tool in the in the box. What would you say has been your biggest challenge in management so far? Oh, I think each and individual, each and every club that you go into manage brings a brings a huge challenge. I think if I go back to my times at Crawley, the owner's words um, when I met him in Hong Kong were very clear. I need I need promotion guaranteed. What do you need? And when you say what you need, he then reminds you that what you have to deliver. I went to Rotherham, I had to deliver certainly one promotion, if not back to back. Um, I went into Leeds. It was to give Massimo no sleepless nights at Easter or, or Christmas when he was in Miami. We achieved that. I went into Mansfield. They said promotion. Listen, the, we all know the promotion should have happened. I think the Mansfield supporters, who were fantastic to me when I was there, they, they realised that promotion should have happened that year. That was the year for them to go. Um, Peter Reddington's a challenge. Gillingham's a massive challenge now. We've got the bottom budget in League One and the objectives of playoffs if you're in the dressing room. That's, that's pretty tough. <laughs> what advice would you give to a young manager just trying to make their way in the game? Um, I think always, always work hard. Get out to games. Um, get on the grass. I mean, I, I'm on the grass every day, coach every day. Um, I have two coaches with me, but I'll do a bulk of the coaching, especially in match preparation. So young coaches, do your homework, educate yourself, get to the coaching courses, especially the boys up the road, get to Largs, get to Stirling, get to Edinburgh, get on those coaches, learn from the best. I tried to, get, I tried to do one recently in circumstances in terms of change fixtures cut across. I was going up to Edinburgh to, to watch people like, uh, the SFA co coaches work on midfield play and, and Bruni was in it and Bruni was going to be part of the session and I thought how can you not learn from somebody like him you know James Tavener who played for me of course at Rotherham in that playoff team you know go and if you're a fullback, go and watch him see what it takes if you're a young coach and you want to play 4-4-2 pick, pick the best team you know who play 4-4-2 don't go with the crowd don't go to watch the game go to watch the system the moves the styles behind it but but walk hard, be dedicated. And um, and if, you, if you've got those two things, doors will open if you've got knowledge. You mentioned your love of Celtic. It's well known. What would it mean to you if you ever got the chance to manage Celtic? Oh, listen, I'm, at my days of having the opportunity to manage Celtic, I've probably gone. But, um, you know, I think um, Neil Lennon, when, when he was the Bolton manager, when he came to Ellen Road and we, we beat them 2-1, and he came in my office and he was having a tough time. He said, I'm really jealous of you. Well, when he got the Celtic job, <laughs> when, uh, when my good friend left to go to, when Brendan left to go to uh, Leicester, um, then Lenny got his own back times 10. I was really jealous of him. And um, listen, I, I've never had in it. They're a, they're a fantastic club. But let's not kid ourselves. If I was manager of a team in the SPL tomorrow and I'm playing Celtic, do I want to win? I want to walk in. I want to walk into my brother's house and halfway and uh, have a little smile to myself, and he'll be calling me all the names under the Sunbury Celtic shirt on. So um, it just the 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 love of winning, the the, the feeling of winning, um, then says it. But I can't help myself thinking some days I am the manager of Celtic when I go to watch them. 
I sit in the stands and I tell my brother who what I would do, who I would change, what I would do. Um, but supportive for life. A few non-football ones for you, Steve. First of all, your favourite band? Oh, favourite band. I would say in terms of favourite artists. I'd say you 2 in terms of it was an album and a band. Um, being a Celtic man, I'd say a bit of Rod Stewart as well. So, um, and the old romantic in me is a put on your bit of Rat Pack or a bit of Perry So, um, all all ends of the spectrum. <laughs> favourite film? Uh, favourite film? Um, I'm looking at my wife. Have I got a favourite film? I like Johnny English. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I, like his. I just put it on. I said, I've watched this before, then I find myself watching it again. Um, only because, you know what, you know the feelings, I think in management, just touching on management again, I think when you, it used to be as a manager when, when you win a game, you would go home and you'd want to take your wife or your friends or whoever it is out for, not you being out, you go for a few drinks, Chinese, or you would just be so happy, you want to be around people, you, you'd be on a buzz. I think where the game's moved to now is when you win, it's just relief. And I think that's all managers. It if you're in the SPL and you're Tommy Wright, Stephen over at Motherwell, you know, or, or any of the guys, even even Stephen at Rangers or, or Lenny now, when you when they win, especially those two, when they win, it's it's just that feeling of relief in the middle of you. You think, right, good, we can start again tomorrow, and um, you can work on what's just happened. But uh, that's how that's changed. But anyway, Johnny English. Uh, I've got two questions to finish, Steve. Um, first of all, who would you say are the biggest characters you've managed? Oh, I think the biggest characters, um, oh, there would be um, be some big names in there. Saul Bamba, who was the captain, of course, at, at Leeds United. Yeah. He was a big character. He's now at Cardiff in the Premier League. Um, absolutely in the trenches, captain. Wonderful lad. Lots of one-on-one chats with him. He was absolutely uh, phenomenal. And Chris Wood, there was me as a little portly manager telling Chris Wood he had to get his body in shape. Um, no, he wasn't. He wasn't hard. The character certainly. Saul was a was a character. Carrie Anderson, who Aberdeen fans are not so well, Arnie was uh, was a character. Uh, they two would stick it to mind to be to be characters. And the last question I've got for you is, in terms of management, um, imagine you're a player and you could play for any manager in any era of football. Who would you choose and why? I think if I stood without a shadow of a doubt, I'd choose Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, just the way he's tripped me, um, everything I hear about him. Um, of course, I'm very fortunate. I know some of the players that played for him in the great times, you know, the Wayne Rooney's and the Giggsies and people like that. And listen, he, he treated them that you couldn't really treat players now, do you? He treated them with almost a mixture of fear and respect and everything. But isn't that amazing today, to this day? They still call him the boss or the gaffer. They still speak about him in the most glowing, glowing terms. And he made those young men not only household iconic, fantastic footballers, he made them multi-millionaires as well. So he's um, he's given them everything that any parent could wish of their child if he went to sign and play for a manager. So, Sir Alex Fergus. Brilliant, Steve. It's been an absolute pleasure. Since I started the podcast, you're somebody I've been desperate to go on. So thank you very much for your time. No, I'm honoured. I'm looking at some of the people you've had. Adrian, Adrian Bevington, of course, is, you know, Scottish fans might not be as aware of Adrian as, as people are down here, but his time at the Football Association, iconic. And some of the people you've had on in recent times, I see you've had on Coyle 
on recently. He's just been a huge success in China as well. So I look forward to listening to more of your podcasts. Brilliant. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be